Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, episode 18, Firing Blanks and Keeping Clean Sheets. I'm joined by the returning Jack Davies. How are we doing, fella? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Put some shelves together this morning, so my Sunday's <laughs> going all right. And we're joined by Tom Overend. He returns to the podcast. He, return- he was on episode 13, I believe, of that Chelsea podcast, and he's back again. How are we doing, fella? I'm good, mate. I know the clocks have gone back an hour, but I've actually catched up on more sleep than that, given how boring Chelsea's football's been <laughs> the last couple of games. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been great. Tom is the owner of All Things Chelsea, by the way. So if you haven't checked them out, make sure you drop them a follow on Twitter. Their socials will be in the link in the description, as will Tom's. Right, we're going to change the format up slightly this podcast because Chelsea had two very dull nil-nil draws against Sevilla and Man United. So instead of trying to dissect them and go through them, because there's not really much to discuss, I'll just briefly summarise and then we'll go on to the questions that you guys have sent in. So Champions League started on Tuesday. Chelsea played Sevilla. It was nil-nil and we looked very solid defensively. Attacking-wise, we didn't create much. Timo Werner had a sort of half chance. He snatched that. Zuma headed close from a corner. There wasn't really much to say. It wasn't a bad performance considering Sevilla probably with us for favourites to top of the group, so we didn't lose any ground there. Edouard Mendy had a solid game in goal making, an important save. Reese James was solid at the back. Ben Chilwell had another strong display. Thiago Silva was solid at the back. And it was, you know, an all right performance, but not, nothing more than that. We then played Man United yesterday. It was nil-nil and it was a bore fest. Literally nothing to talk about really other than the fact that Harry Maguire thought he was back in Mykonos fighting the Greek police when he rugby tackled Azpilicueta to the ground. The VAR said no penalty. 
can you be surprised when incompetent hacks are in charge of refereeing in VAR in the Premier League? No. So it was nil-nil. We created nothing. Mendy made some big saves. Rhys James was solid again. Thiago Silva was solid again. And Ben Chilwell had another solid performance. I think I've summarised pretty much everything that needs to be said there, boys. So I guess we just go on to the questions. And <laughs> the first question is from El Gaffer on Twitter, who asks, what exactly is the Gaffer system? Tom, we played 4-2-3-1 against Sevilla. We played 3-4-3 against Man United. What is the system that Lamps is trying to play? So, I, I, I might go on a little rant here. So just, just, just kind of hold fire. Restrain me if you need to. So, at the start of the season, I was pretty kind of, I don't want to say knives out for the manager, but I was highly critical of Lampard because he was swapping shapes every game and we were losing games. We were drawing games. The games we won weren't exactly convincing. And then after Spurs, he decided to keep playing the 4-2-3-1, which he played against Sevilla. It was looking quite consistent. Jorginho Kante in the pivot. Then what does he go and do against Man United? He goes and changes the system yet again. Um, I, I think it's hard to say where the final destination is with Lampard because you get people saying Declan Rice could come and put it in a 4-3-3. You get people saying he wanted to play 4-2-3-1 all of last season, despite the fact that he didn't really play it after November. Um, and you get people saying, you know, he's back to 4-2-3-1, but then he changes it again for a big game. So I'm at a point where I'm really struggling to see where the end destination is. And before the United game, I'd have said 4-2-3-1. That's what he wants to do. Give it time. But... I can't really give too much of the benefit of the doubt when he changes it up every single week. And I have to be honest with you, it feels like a manager at times who is winging it at the moment. He doesn't really know what his best team is. He's credit where it's due. He's found his best defence, I think, until he then puts in as P in addition to that back four or he plays both the right backs. Um, but essentially, I don't think the coach really knows at the moment. And I hope I see him go back to the 4-2-3-1, continue with that project and not change it for a very long time until he's established it as our best formation. There Fair we go. Enough. Fair enough. Uh, JD, anything you sort of want to add to that? I think on the pod we've sort of discussed before, you know, we've sort of debated 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3. You know, we've said 4-2-3-1. There are going to be issues with, you know, and lateral DM. We did see sort of against Sevilla, we did sort of struggle to really control the game, but we were defensively solid. And then, you know, the 4 through 3 while it, you know, it takes Havertz out of his best position as number 10, but it perhaps gives us more solidity and knits things together between defence and attack. But we've not, we've not seen 4 through 3 this season, so we can't really, you know... No, you can't really that judge that, can we? So, what I mean, do you think is... What is the system? What is it at the moment we're, we're doing? Do you think, like Tommy, sort of under pressure and just sort of winging it a bit? Um, yeah, well, we don't really know, do we? It's one of those when the team sheet's coming out, you're not sure what what's going to be, who's going to be on the... Well, some players, you know, are going to be on the team sheet, but you're thinking they're going to be playing out of position, etc. every single week at the moment. And you can understand why people are getting so frustrated with it. Um, I think with the with the players we've got, there's no doubt that 
4-2-3-1 is the best system to suit these players with someone like Havertz who should be playing in a 10, trying to get on the ball and take some take the ball forward and try and do something. Like the other day when he's out on the wing, it's just it's just a joke. I don't know. He can't it can't influence the game. I mean he's had a bit of a slow start, which doesn't help. Um and then like yesterday I was seeing Werner was playing up top, but he was still he kept drifting out onto the left and no attacking threat whatsoever yesterday from the boys. Um we I mean with the three at the back, five at the back, whichever one you want to call it. I mean, we he has changed that quite a few times over the two years for big games. So, to be honest, it didn't really come as a big surprise to me yesterday. But the thing, the thing is, you just come off the back of a performance where you can say, yeah, we were defensively sound and uh, pretty resolute. Um, and you'd think, why would he not stick at the same formation and try and build on that because that's what everyone keeps saying at the moment yeah we've we've kept clean two clean sheets this like building blocks we're going to build on this but I don't really see it as a building block keep changing between the two to be honest yeah fair enough I will say you know I think agree with that yeah I will say I think with Sevilla I think I think the balance, and I, I think, I'm not sure you guys agree, but balance between defence and attack was actually all right. It wasn't, per, it was far from perfect, but we still actually had some decent chances that on an, you know, as I say, on another day, Chil- uh, Zuma buries his header, or Werner takes that chance at the end of the first half better, and we win 1-0, and when we're saying that was a really, that was a solid performance. Mm-hmm. But United, I don't think there was any, the balance was right at all. There was no attacking threat. Pulisic had our only real shot when he sort of, you know, shot at the hair and it was a pretty easy save for him to make. And then Reese had to try to catch him out from a free kick. Whereas we also did give up some chances against United. So I don't think the balance was right at all there against United, whereas perhaps I'm more lenient on the Sevilla game. Um, mm. I mentioned briefly when I summarised the VAR uh, incident, Dwayne asks, why didn't Aspi and the Chelsea players insist on the ref checking VAR? Ramos did that for Madrid and bullied the ref into giving him a penalty. Uh, Tom? Well, I think there are a number of reasons for that one. The first being, I think it's an automatic yellow if you do the VAR symbol or something, which obviously is Aspi's a nice lad. And I think he, he's actually a bit too nice when it comes to, I can't imagine him getting in the head of referees like John Terry used to, or um, Gary Neville probably would have, or even Sergio Ramos. I just don't see him in the referee's head. And I would also say to that, I think referees in England are a bit more arrogant than referees in Spain. I think, Referees in England, almost, if they're told to check VAR by a player, it would almost make them more determined not to check VAR because of the way they're brought up to referee, um, particularly at Premier League level. Um, you know, anyone who, who, who knows my rants, no, I'm not always particularly complimentary about the refs in England. I do think they get unnecessarily abused, but I think their egos sometimes... Um, overcome them and I think if Aspi had hassled them maybe they'd have got even more stubborn against it maybe they'd have given a yellow card and everyone would have sighed and gone why is that why has he got a yellow card for that so I, I, I guess it's a mixture of those things and in all honesty Dwayne I 
don't think it would have made much of a difference if I'm if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, my only yeah. thought was, you know, Tammy Abraham against City last year. No, you know, on that penalty, he's the one who sees it and he gets right in the ref's like face, and they end up checking it when no one else had really seen it. But yeah. you know, that's yeah. Of... I mean, if there's if there's no um, is this if there's nothing coming from the players going shouting ref ref or whatever no commotion caused by it. They're not, they're not going to check it, are they? To be yeah. honest. Did they even check the one last night? Was it reviewed? I, no. I'm not sure. Nah. I don't they think spent it was more reviewed. time checking so... Rashford's than ours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I completely agree with what Tom said. It's just we're too respectful almost. Yeah. Like with Aspi. Um, yeah, I don't think there are enough players really going for it. Aspi was the only one who I saw had any reaction, but he didn't really get in the ref's face at all. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think I saw... Sorry to butt in, by the way. Fine. I think I saw a ref saying, and a ref that had retired, and I can't for the life of me remember who exactly it was. I think it might have been Graham Pohl, but it doesn't really matter, saying that there are certain players that get in the head of the referee that, you know, kind of live there um, while they're refing a game, give them extra pressure. And I just can't see SP being that player. I can't see, for instance, even like Gary Cahill, I couldn't see him being that player. Mayoris, maybe someone like Harry Maguire, I, I could see being that player. Or um, I'm trying to go through the captains of the big sides. Henderson. Similarly, I don't think I think he maybe has that ability Van Dijk to get definitely in the head of Van Dyke definitely would, and I think we haven't got that kind of nasty streak that we used to have when we had, you know, Diego Costa. John Terry was there, and I think people underestimate how much John Terry really helped get into the head of the ref and made sure that we weren't kind of screwed over by decisions. And that's my, you know. That might be my view, but I, I just don't really see that in us at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we're too nice a team, think, to be honest. Yeah, I think the the fan aspect makes a big difference as well. Fans not being there. I know yesterday's game was away, but that atmosphere that the fans create when some an incident like that happens definitely swings the referee's decision sometimes. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, next question comes in. Uh, from a friend of Jack and mine, who's a United fan, who asked, should Manchester United have started a stronger starting eleven? Uh, Jack, you know, there was Pogba on the bench, Greenwood on the bench, Cavani on the bench, although Cavani, you know, not really fit to start. Bonnie van der Beek, an unused sub. Um, do you think United could have gone with a stronger starting eleven? Uh, yeah, when you hear the likes of someone like Pogba on the bench, I mean, when he proper turns it on and plays, he's... He's different class. Um, yeah, when you're seeing like McTominay and Fred, that's not exactly the strongest duo in midfield, is it really? And then Dan James on the wing doesn't seem to really know what to do when he gets the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd say Pogba would go in, but then with like Van der Beek, he's, he's not going to get ahead of someone like Fernandez, is he? Fernandez is the first player on the team sheet, so... Yeah, I mean, you could argue he, he's better than some of those players that started, but then their system will just get completely messed up. So, yeah, I can understand why he hasn't played. Um, and then 
I don't know. I don't know if they're being a bit more careful with Greenwood um, based on his off-field antics. And I think he's, they've, they've been saying he's been late to training and things like that. Seems like he thinks he's a bit, um, a bit big time now. So I don't know if they're trying to calm his ego a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, just you look at that team and it's weak. It's weak. And you just think, how will we so toothless going forward against them? How can we not go and put a bit of pressure on that defence that's lot, uh, leaked six goals to Spurs and is arguably just as poor as our defence has been? So I just, yeah, I just don't get why, why we didn't, why we didn't go forward more and actually try and go and win the game. That's what it seemed like yesterday. It seemed like one of those that we were just both managers were. Both of them are under pressure and both of them are just standing there happy, probably said to each other before the game, yeah, should we just keep it nil-nil? That's what it seemed like to me anyway. Mate, it literally has a typical Mourinho performance from like years gone by. Where a big six, like, we'll take the nil-nil, boys. That's fine. We'll beat the smaller teams. We're not, but then the issue is this year, we're not being the smaller teams. Um, right. Next question is from Maria. She asks, should Lampard have subbed Kai and Timo off. I'll be honest, boys. When those subs got made, I thought, right, that's it. We ain't. We've got no chance of winning the game now. Uh, Tom, what do you think? So I was, I was the opposite. I thought he, I thought both of them had underwhelming games and actually deserved to go off. I think Werner might be. There might be a bit of a deeper problem that I think he does struggle with the physicality of defenders, and I know he scored a great brace against Southampton. But I think when he comes up against, you know, particularly a back three, you know, three big physical centre-backs, I think he struggles a little bit. Um, it's not something we need to be overly like worried about, but he wasn't hacking it that game. And as much as maybe some people would have preferred Giroud over Tammy, it's certainly not a sub that I would criticise. And Kai, I think he was out of position and I'm not sure it was his day either to be honest with you. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm, I know a lot of people on the timeline and, and lots of fans in general didn't like the subs, but I actually thought they were the logical ones to have been made at that, at that moment, if I'm honest with you. Fair enough. Jack? I agree, to be fair as well. I mean, I understand what you're saying, Nick, like taking those two players off the sort of, somewhat goal threat has gone uh, in comparison to what Ta uh, Tammy and Mount bring. You'd say the other two got a better chance of scoring better players. But again, they wouldn't go as far to say have gone missing. That's a bit, a bit harsh. But they just couldn't get into the game yesterday. And, and I, I just agree with Tom that that was probably the, probably the right move at that time in the game to try and... Um, well, try and make a sub that make made it look like we were trying to actually go and get something from the game, even if we weren't. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, before we move on to the next question, quick shout to Maria. She's on, I believe, day thirty-four or day thirty-five of trying to tweet Mason, of tweeting Mason Mount, trying to get a follow back or a signed shirt. So if, she's got a shirt. So if anyone can help, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, right, the next. Question comes in from Kamal at Lumper TFC, good friend of ours who was on the pod to look back at Palace and he asked a great question. A question for perhaps 
not many people want to discuss. Is it time to move on from N'Golo Kante? Tom, thoughts? Well, um, this is a really, really horrible question. Um, but for me, I think he's been quite far below par this season. And yes, people will tell me that he's got the most interceptions in the league, which is all very well and good. But when you're playing in a double pivot, you've got to provide something in the transition and then going forward. And for me, N'Golo Kante, when Chelsea go and attack, is like a fire blanket. He just extinguishes any creativity or any incision going forward. It... When, when, I, when I see him go forward and the ball gets played to him, he just loses a ball or he doesn't play it through. And I don't think a double pivot in a possession-based side is a role for him, to be honest with you. So unless we play a different style of football, I would have to say, yeah, cash in take a high amount of money and and get somebody else in who can do that role better maybe rice maybe uh zacharia but yeah i'm at a point where it's getting really frustrating watching him in the final third yeah no i'll agree the amount of times he like i thought the amount of poor simple passes as well yesterday but went astray from him it's not it wasn't even necessarily like the adventurous passes it was actual Poor, simple passes that just like ruined our attack. Jack? Yeah, definitely. I think I, I said this over the summer. I said, would you think it's time to cash out, cash in on him at, even, and take the money? Because he's getting older, isn't he? So, um, yeah, it's a difficult one because he's such a lovable character and he has been quality for us over the years. But I don't think it helps with... Uh, him playing alongside Jorginho in that in in those in the double pivot those two uh, in in the two in the centre, I think if you were to play a Kovacic, then Kante could just sit. Then he might perform better. But those two together just doesn't really cut it because like like we saw yesterday, just going forward, he seems to kill every single counter attack we had or any sort of attack we have. Um, yeah, he's just not used to be being that far up the pitch. I think doesn't doesn't know where to where to hit these passes, etc. So, yeah. I, I think if we if we change the formation to or personnel to get the best out of him, then there's no question how good he is at winning the ball back, and that's what he's good at. But limit it, limit him to what he's good at, and then get someone else that can drive forward in the final third, which I think Kovacic can do better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those, it, it generally could be a time to cash in on him. Yeah, I'll just add, I think ultimately while we play 4-2-3-1 and we don't have a natural DM, there's going to be problems because I think every single pairing we play is flawed. Kovacic mm-hmm. and Jorginho, like aesthetically, yeah, they look like really good on the eye. They don't really you know, not great defensively and probably don't offer enough offensively either. You know, and Kovacic mm-hmm. and Kante pivot, well, they both love to get forward. You know, arguably, you know, the Jorginho-Kante pivot or is probably the best 
was maybe arguably sort of the best outcome. But then again, you're leaving the last season's player of the year, Kovacic, on the bench. I mean, he's played he played twenty minutes these two games, so that'll be an interesting yeah. uh, conundrum to solve. Uh, Tom, just you ask. See... I'll just go. Sorry. No, no worries. For um, Krasnodar, would you play a, a, you know, a Kovacic, Jorginho pivot? Well, I mean, if we, if I had to play a midfield too, yes, I would. Um, for me, I think both Jorginho and Kante are so much better when you're playing possession-based football in a four-three-three, and I think Lampard's attempt to basically shoehorn those two players from a midfield three where they know their role to a midfield two doesn't make them as effective as players as they might have been in a three. Um, And I'm not somebody as much as I like Maurizio Sarri. I know you guys didn't as much as I did, I did like him and I don't, you know, live on in his memory as, as I think some Chelsea fans do like, ones with Regista in their name or something. I think he got as good as you can get from Kante in a possession-based system. And how did he do it? Have Jorginho in behind and Kante in that box-to-box central midfield role. And to see Lampard basically try and put them on a level pivot midfield, it, 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 it kind of is just a bit painful for me to be honest with you. Um, and I think if you're, if you're talking in midfield two, Jorginho and Kovacic are probably the two best we've got. Yeah, I mean, look, it's interesting because you think back to the arguably our best run of form under Frank was last season in that autumn run. It was, you know, four, it was the 4-3-3 we played, but it was, you know, midfield three of uh, Jorginho, Kovacic and Mount. And we saw, yeah. you know, we were... Okay, yeah, we were still shaky defensively, but we, we controlled games a lot. I mean, I think that's a Watford away. I know the scoreline doesn't suggest it, but that was one of the most dominant Chelsea performances I saw that Agreed. season. Like, Jorginho and Kovacic just ran the show. I think there was some weird stuff between them. They had about 20% of the ball combined between the two of them or something. It was ridiculous how much of the show they ran. I think the issue we've got ultimately is without a natural DM, when teams go at us and put pressure on us, any midfield two is going to struggle because we don't have the natural DM. I think we're great when we've got the ball. And I'll say it again, Spurs in the League Cup, that first 45 minutes was easy because Kovacic and Jorginho were allowed the ball. And then when in the second half Spurs put pressure on us, we couldn't cope. The only time mm. we've had a really easy game this season was Palace, where we played Jorginho and Kante in a pivot. They put no pressure on us. They didn't press us at all. And they just allowed us the ball. That's the only time we've actually looked really comfortable for a whole game. When, because as soon as a team goes after us or presses us, I feel that there's going to be issues no matter what. So it is, it is a tough question. But ultimately, to, answer, to go back to the original question, if you said to me, you'll sell Kante in the summer, but we'll get a proper DM, say a Declan Rice, then yeah, I'd probably say yes, because I think that's what we need. We need that massively in our team. Question for you guys. Yeah. and Because I hear it a lot, and it's something that I... I maybe don't see as clearly as lots of people do. When people say a natural DM, what do they mean? Because... I think you look at someone like a Matic, someone like, you had Matic next to Kante, you know, someone who literally will like sit back and let Kante go up the field and nick the ball off 
players? What someone who doesn't like strive too far up the pitch? We've so got, like a less good ball player, but a better tackler. I, I think, look, yeah, I think ultimately what we need is sort of like a destroyer in there, like a Fernandinho type thing the City have got. If we had someone like him, I think I'd be brilliant. And I know, you know, Declan Rice has got more to his game than that, as he is very good on the ball. Yeah. But I think we need ultimately someone like that who won't go, who won't go too far forward because that's that's what Kante's doing at the moment. We're not, we don't have anyone really to shield or protect that defence. Whereas you look back to the title win under Conte, we had Matic doing that job. And For again, me, under Mourinho, course. we had Matic, that Matic-Fabregas pivot that worked because mm-hmm. Matic just allowed Fabregas to do his thing. Go on. Yeah. Well, for me personally, I like the idea of having a ball player in that defensive midfield role if you do it right. And for me, the problem is we have that ball playing DM in Jorginho and we have the kind of cover for him in Kante. But I don't think you can run a midfield with just those two. If you want like a Makaleli or a Matic type player, I don't think you can have Kante in next to them because no, I just don't yeah. think it's creative enough. No, that's what and, I'm saying. Yeah, I wouldn't mind yeah. if Kante if you sold Kante to get someone like that. Or also, again, I'll mention it: Ethan Ampadu's out on loan at Sheffield United. That's an option. And also, I do think Billy Gilmore potentially could maybe help because I think he's he's got the passing range and he's just more he's more agile. And more mobile than Jorginho. Because I think Jorginho, if he had pace and physicality, he could probably do an all right job there. But because of but physicality is such a big skill and like asset in that position for me. I think it depends on the manager's choice of style, to be honest with you. I mean, you see some of the best ball players play in that defensive mid role, like a Pirlo or a Busquets or I don't want to say Jorginho in the sense that he's one of the best ball players, but he's a very good ball player. But what do you see in common when you see those players? You see two other midfielders to protect them. Yeah. And that's why I feel like you have to make that choice as to do as you're saying and basically bring in a, like a bulldozer, a kind of water carrier CDM very traditional CDM in a not expected to be such a strong player on the ball or you embrace Jorginho for being the ball player he is and have two players either side to cover him yeah and that's, I don't see either no that's the, the thing with the 4 2 3 we can't have those two either side of him that's why I said in a 4 yeah. 3 I don't actually you know just say it was a four for three of Jorginho Kovacic Mount or, you know, Jorginho mm. Mount. I don't think it's that. I think that, that's all right. It's the fact we've got the two. I love it. That's, but the, it's the issue is we've got the two and there's the gap to Havertz as the 10. And there's Do you think, just another question. Um, so if you were to get in a natural DM, like a Declan Rice, say, I mean, I think Casemiro's the best at it in the world at the moment, Real Madrid. But, if you had an actual DM, I don't think you could really play Jorginho next to them in the two, like we said, because there's no creativity there. So would you, would you potentially have someone that sits? I'll tell you what, another person who could be a good, a decent purchase would be Wilfred and Didi for Leicester. He's quality at that role. Um, 
But would you then potentially have that person there and then say maybe bring Mount back into that next to them and play that's him as option. a box to box? That's an op- That's an option because I'm going to like... I would. Because we've got... Frank is basically... Mount reminds me of Oscar. He's a workhorse. He's, ba- he's yeah. basically like... Frank to Mount at the moment is doing what Mourinho did to Oscar, make him a workhorse. I think if you put Mount there, he could, he could do a job. And he's yeah, certainly and then better you, being out then. Yeah, but then you've got to sack off Kante and Jorginho, so you've got to push two players out. That's that's the yeah. thing you'd have to do. But, well, look, ultimately, 4-2-3-1, yeah. you are going to have to sack someone off because mm-hmm. there's one less person in midfield. But, yeah, yeah. that, was, that yeah. was a brilliant question from Kamal, and we'll continue answering your questions in part two. Welcome back to part two. We're continuing with your Twitter questions. And the next one is from RJ, whose first question is, who is your first preference as it stands between Reese James and Azpilicueta? So I guess we're talking about when we're playing four at the back, who is your first preference to play at right back? Uh, Tom? Oh, it depends on the game. Um, I'd rotate. I don't have any strong preference. They're both quality players. Um, in all honesty, I, I don't want to make a preference. Fair enough, fair enough. Jack? I mean, I would have said Azpilicueta early on in the season because I think Reese James was going for a bit of a poor patch defensively. But the last few games and when he was with England as well, I think he's patterned up a lot and he's been looking, looking very good at the back as well as going forward. I think he just offers that little bit more going forward. Um, like his crossing ability, we've seen it hundreds of times over the last year and a bit. Um, he can just put the ball right on the money. We've just got to hope someone can get on the end of them now. But I agree with Tom as well, uh, especially with the amount of games we've got at the moment coming thick and fast. I think we've just got to rotate between the both of them. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Follow-up to that is, is there a case to see both of them at the same time? Example, like we saw against United or perhaps with Reese in a midfield role in a 4-2-3-1? Tom? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, one, because I don't really want us playing about three a lot of the season. And two, I suppose, because I don't think I want to see Reese in midfield. As much as I rate him as a player, I think he would just add even more confusion to that midfield debate. I don't think, I think it would actually make life even harder in terms of picking the team. So, no, I. I'm very much in favour of just sticking players to their normal positions. Uh, as I say, given that most people seem to moan that he plays players out of position, yeah, I'm not ready yeah. for all of that debate. <laughs> Fair enough, Jack. Don't don't want any more occasions of that, do we? God, oh, God. Another Mount Mount 2.0. Um, yeah, I think I agree. To be honest, just stick him in his best position, which is right back. Um, I mean, when they play in the three and Aspi's that right centre back, I think I think it does work. To be honest with you, um, saw it last night a couple of times. People got in behind Reese, um, but then Aspi's there to sweep up. But going back to what we said before, we want to stick to the same formation, and our best formation should be four-two-three-one. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Like, I don't actually perhaps mind on occasion, or if you know, maybe if we want to match up against like a team that plays three about, like we did, you know, Wolves at the end of last season, then I don't, I wouldn't have an issue with that. But yeah, on the whole, don't really see the need to have them both in the same team, unless obviously Aspilicueta was filling in for Chilwell at left back 
if Chilwell had an injury True. or something like that. Next question comes in from the concierge of crime. He asks, with everyone using trust for process and lack of preseason every time we don't win, what time frame should fans judge in regards to results or does the feel-good factor override judgment? Right, before we go on to that, I think the feel-good factor is probably gone because I think the honeymoon phase of Frank being manager is over. There's also not fans in the ground. There's not fans in the ground. So there's no feel-good factor there and all we can base it off is Twitter where there certainly is no, there isn't a feel-good factor there. It's, it's not, I'm not saying it's more negative than positive because there are still quite, you know, positive people out there. But it's cert- I, I certainly don't think there's a feel-good factor around Frank at the moment. So I don't really think that um, feel-good factor is overriding people's judgment on that. However, do you boys, the trust for process and lack of preseason every time we don't win, what time frame should we sort of judge results? I mean, I feel we're judging results already anyway, Tom. For me, it depends on the performance and the management. Like, if there is clearly a process that is evident, I will trust that process. But if I see a coach that's changing it every week and winging it, I'm not afraid to say, look, I think we're not going to get any better if we don't build partnerships. And I know concierge of crime like me is a big fan of Sarri, and I think maybe it spills over that you see a manager who is very dogmatic and you say, well, you know, there's, there's a mix and you've almost got the antidote of Sarri in Lampard in that Lampard changes it almost too much and Sarri almost not enough. Mm. And for me, I, at the moment, I think people talk about, oh, let's play three, four, three occasionally. Let's do, you know, this, that and the other for big games. But, I don't believe in playing a backup formation if we don't have a first-choice formation that's working. And I think our first priority should be to build that first-choice formation. Look at, say, actually both Conte and Sarri, when they first started with their system. So when Conte first started with that 3-4-3, I think we won the 12 on the trot. When Sarri first started with the 4-3-3, I think we won... We were undefeated for about 18 games. And while I think maybe fans' expectations are too high and, 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 you know, I wouldn't expect us to to win like 12, 13 on the trot or go unbeaten that length of time, at least we'll be betting in a system that we'll know works. Because I, I, I don't think... You know, we have a first choice. The difference between us and United, for me, is United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a 4-2-3-1 that he plays almost the whole time, except for when he's got a tactical battle, when he goes to that three at the back, which I was surprised he didn't do yesterday, by the way. With Lampard, we don't know what his first pick is, you know? And that winds me up because... That's why I, I would say it's a manager that is winging it. Yeah, fair enough. Jack, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, well, just going back to the lack of pre-season excuse and things, I think, and the time frame situation, I think we've got, we've got to start looking at it now, to be honest. We've yeah. had our... How many games have we played now? Six? Six in the league, yeah. I, I we've had six games. We've had cup games. I'm sorry, that that's you get less than that in pre-season. We've 
been playing for eight weeks or whatever. Pre-season's done. These players are up to full fitness or should be. Yeah. So we've got to start judging results now. There's no, especially after that. We I think we said we should start judging results after the international break earlier on in the season. Yeah. And we're past that now. So I think we've got to start really being uh, critical of, of uh, results now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the next five or six games is where, you know, people should sort of really form a judgment. All I will say is Definitely. if, you know, people do, you know, Hakim Ziyech, give the lad time because as Frank said, one of the issues we've got with is due to COVID, obviously, you know, it can't bring the under 23s into training. So Ziyech is, you know, they can't get minutes, you know, training minutes under the belt, you know, 11 in matches. So he's, he is getting minutes through playing football you know, on the pitch in real time. So, you know, other than that, I would say, yeah, give, give you know, Ziyech a pass on that. But I agree completely that now is the time, you know, these next five or six games, judge yeah. Frank, if we, if we pop, if we really, I think we need to be getting five wins and a draw minimum from the next six games we've got in all competitions because yeah. we're playing Sheffield United, Burnley, Newcastle, and we've got Krasnodar and Wren. Really, that's, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, that's I mean, this five next... wins and a draw. Yeah, this next week is huge. These three games, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, should be winning all three. And this is going back to, yeah, we've been good defensively against two so-called better teams, but now against these lot, that should be based on how good defensively we've been. Supposedly, we should be another three clean sheets, but we should be firing the goals against these teams. If you ask me, yeah. To be honest, now Burnley, Burnley have been poor. Yeah. But and Burnley, the last two seasons we've battered Burnley away from home. So no, I agree. No, I agree completely. I think you know, the the lack of preseason. I might have accepted that the first two or three weeks of the season before international break. It's not an excuse now. We've played six games in the league. There's not, you know, in terms of the trust for process. Like I mean, ultimately that's up to like the fans. It's ultimately up to what you want, how much you believe in. The manager, I'd like Chelsea to just stick with a manager for, for a time now, try and like not just constantly, you know, constant upheaval. But I've got no issue with people who say you've got big, big concerns with Lampard because I'll be honest, I've got, I'm less confident about Lampard being as excessive than I was last season. So that's just sort of the way it is. I think but as, yeah. yeah. I think as well, you've got to, sorry, sorry, you've got, got to look at the table as well, I was just going to say, and just yeah. be thankful that. All the other teams can't defend either. All the big teams and other yeah. teams are dropping points. So, I mean, we're four points, four points off the top with Everton drawing earlier. Um, and you could look at it like I know it's all what ifs and if buts, maybe's all that. If we'd beaten Southampton and beaten West Brom, we'd be top of the league. It's just such fine margins. So if we can really pick up a decent, uh, yeah decent run of games and, and uh, get some wins under our belt, then we could see after the six games, like you said, if we go and win five, draw one, etc., see where we could be then. Yeah. Could be right up there. And then the confidence is back between the fans and everyone. And you could be looking at something uh, decent happening, but it's got to, it's got to change quickly and we've got to, um, got to start going and beating teams. Yeah, Tom, what were you going to say? Sorry, question I will just also add. Guys. Yeah, go, Tom. Yeah, I was going to say, question for you guys. Why do you think Lampard's not been able to decide on a shape? Why do you think it is 
that he chops and changes all the time. Because mm. that I think, and I'm speaking for myself, I think I'm speaking, mate, I, I hope for some other people. If you saw a blueprint, you would be a lot more lenient on the fact the results might not be coming. But because you aren't seeing a blueprint of how we want to play, people are saying, well, we're not getting results and we're not seeing a setup that we're going to see maybe get us results. Why, why is it, do you, do you guys think that is? At the start, personnel? Because, I mean, you think we had to wait to get Silver into the team. We had to wait to get sort of Mendy into the team, Chilwell into the team. At the start, I think that was an issue, personnel, trying to sort of maybe get the best. I mean, I'll be honest, like, in terms of just the example of, like, muddled thinking, Ruben Loftus-Cheek started our first game of the season away at Brighton, mm. and he's now on loan at Fulham. If you want, like, an example of perhaps a lack of clear direction or not so sure of where we were going, I think that's the biggest example. But a player who started our first yeah. game of the season is now on loan at a Fulham side battling yeah. relegation. So, and Ross, and Ross Barkley coming uh, on the bench for that game, yeah, which to be fair, I thought he was all right that day, yeah. And he's now at Aston um, Villa, so it's tough. Um, again, obviously, also Pulisic, you know, we've only sort of had back the last few games, so I think that's. I think injuries have been a factor, but ultimately, in terms of struggling to find a shape, I don't know, because United, if we don't see 3-4-3 three, three now till, you know, say Spurs at home, then that's okay with me, because we're building the 4-2-3-1, and we had success both times we played Spurs last season with a 3-4-3. Three, three. So if we sort of see that 4-2-3-1 continuing, then yeah, I'm for the next few games, and I'm fine with it. Jack? But what if not? What about if not? Unless he goes back to four three three, then I go. Why are we playing? Unless he goes back to four three three, then yeah, I'll be confused. Because to be honest, the three yeah. we don't need three four three against like at home, especially at home to Sheffield United. We don't need that. We don't need three four three against Burnley or Krasnodar yeah. or whatever. So look, and yeah, I, I mean, I think I ultimately. The Southampton game affected Frank's thinking for this week because he had two big games. And after the disappointment of Southampton, he was like, I can't afford to lose these two games. So he thought, decided how he could best set up for both games. I think ultimately that's what it is because Sophia, we didn't lose any ground in our group. In United, we didn't lose any ground or they didn't gain any ground on us. But yeah. Um, Jack, anything to add or not? I think it's just what Tom's getting at and most people are getting at. It's just frustrating seeing that and the lights. It's like you said, not wanting to lose those two games, but it's just a bit of a lack of ambition, to be honest. I feel that's what I feel like. He's thought, I've lost this game. Let's go ultra defensive and yeah, not really offer much. It's, it is frustrating to watch. Um, yeah, but with the games that we've got coming up, I can't really see him going back to a three at the back for a while. So no, and I can't. I mean, he hasn't chopped. He hasn't chopped and changed the formation that that much, to be honest with you. Yeah, certainly um, not this season. I don't think. No, but so, I, yeah. Also, I don't think we're going to see us be anywhere near as measured or restrained in these upcoming games. I do honestly think Frank realised this is a big week and he couldn't afford to lose either game. So he sort of went a bit more. I don't think against Burnley or 
Chrysler, we're going to see as anywhere near as defensive as South. I think we, you know, honestly, it might lead to us conceding goals, but we might actually win the games. So, yeah. Uh, next question comes in from Nath at Chelsea Nath. Give him a follow, one of the best accounts on Twitter. He asks you, and it's quite a pertinent question, what area does Lampard need to improve most? Uh, Tom? For me, it's just that blueprint. Like, I, I can see he's got talent as a man manager. He, he's good with transfers. But if you don't see him um, build a formation and a style of play, we're not going to succeed. Simple as that. Yeah, fair enough. Jack? I think it's just that's that's central midfield role to, role to be honest. Um, that's our issue at the moment. It seems I think he's he's resolved the centre back and goalkeeper issue now. Where it seems at the moment, um, and then just just going just going forward. That's that's what it's, I know. I keep mentioning it, but that's what's just frustrating me the most. It's just those two games were so boring to watch. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Although, as I said, I do think the balance between attack and defence was a lot better in the Sevilla game than United, although it was mm-hmm. still far from perfect. Um, and his follow-up question is, what is your general consensus on the clean sheets? Are you satisfied with the building of a defensive basis? This was quite a question we got a lot. You know, Nishal asked it, is it more positive, you know, getting a clean sheet? Um, you know, is there more cause? Sorry, is there more cause for concern over not scoring goals or more positive over clean sheets? Dean asked, "Is it you know how much confidence do you have that Frank and his coach staff can find the balance between the attacking quality and the defensive shutouts in the last two games?" So I guess yeah, Tom. Uh, it's, it, they're, they're very tough questions. Those they're very good questions. For me, I think the severe game where we held our shape, we got the clean sheet, and we had chances. It was a good draw um, yeah. for that reason. And I think if it had been a very similar game as that against United and it had ended nil-nil, that would have been fine. But um, the fact that the shape was changed and it was a less good performance is why I'm a lot less optimistic about that game than I was the severe game. Uh, yeah. A bit like what you were saying, um, Nick. So, yeah, I mean, if, if we keep building and this is the sort of foundation for a run of six games, four clean sheets, five wins and a draw, yeah. then two great points. And we're seeing what our backup shape's going to be. But if it starts a period of more chopping and changing and even less coordination between defence and attack, then I would say a very bad point, the one at Old Trafford because it created even more uncertainty. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Jack? Um, I, think, I think we're just sort of, we're sort of, not forgetting, but sort of pushing away the fact that, uh, look how many goals we were conceding earlier on in the season and yeah. all of last year. How, how many was it we've conceded under Frank? 62 in it was three games. 63 in 43 games, I think, yeah. Some, something stupid like that. So, I can understand what he's doing. I think if you're a team wanting to win the league or even avoid a relegation, that is the first thing you need to sort out is your defence. If you're not going to concede goals, you're going to pick up points either way. 
if they're draws or wins, etc. So I think it it is progress in a way. The severe game we've mentioned, yeah, it was good. What just frustrated me on Sunday was just against a crap United team. We're not offering anything. But I think it is it is something to build on, but we've just we've got to go and we've got to go and build on it in these next games. Otherwise the pressure is really gonna be on. Um we've yeah, we've just got to go and score goals. I, I, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. It's just... Uh... Yeah, and, you know, I've, I think, I don't know how many times I've said it on the pod, it's getting repetitive. I think the balance is in the Sevilla game was a lot, was not, as said, far from perfect, but it wasn't actually that bad and we did create some decent-ish chances, whereas United, we didn't. So, yeah, look, I'll be honest, clean sheets are kind of irrelevant in the next few games to me. It's about the wins. Yeah, yeah, like, true. I, you know, we've got to win these games and ultimately against Krasnodar and I'd like to think Spurnley and, you know, Sheffield United, have a, I know Sheffield United gave Liverpool a good game yesterday, the, the other day, but I, I want us to see, I want to see us win these quite comfortably. I want to see a comfortable, a comfortable win. We've, we've had one of those mm. like performances against Palace and that was really more just a brilliant second 45. I, we, I feel we need to sort of string that complete performance together which yeah. we've not seen this season yeah, it doesn't, I agree it doesn't matter if we can see goals it's how you bounce back from it if if we're building on those two clean sheets we've just kept then if we concede a goal we're not going to crumble like we have yeah. in past weeks so that's that's the type of thing we need to that's what we've got to build on it doesn't matter if you're conceding goals as long as well, as long as you go and score up the other end, yes. of course. But, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. My my only final point on on is is I would on the start of the week if you said look, I'd rather have two nil nil draws than two three all draws, because I think then the issue still you know we're still moaning about the defence issue. So from that aspect, yeah, the clean sheets are a positive, and it's a decent building block to go from. But it's only a good building block if we then take back some confidence that we now have in our defence and we go on in these next five, six games and we get the wins, get some good performances under our belt, build some confidence and we can sort of realise, yeah, we're not, we're not afraid of, you know, playing it like more attacking if it's going to leave us vulnerable. Because again, final shout out, Eddie Mendy was superb. He's been superb since he's joined. So, yeah. And I do think we can, we will get the balance I do, I do think it will come. I think it's, ba- it's baby steps because ultimately Frank didn't bother really. I don't, last season, I can't think of one game you say where, yeah, Frank went really defensive to try and get a... That wasn't how he played last season. So I think Frank sort of realised, yeah, he can't carry on like this. Southampton might be the straw that broke the camel's back. And now he's realised, yeah, I'm going to try and get the defence going okay. And then we're going to build from there and start keeping clean sheets. And then we're going to be good going forward because the quality, the quality is there. Yeah. I'm not worried about yeah, you... us scoring goals. Us scoring goals, it's because we weren't ambitious enough against United. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. The, Based on the, the ambition, formation, yeah, it's ambition yeah, that's costing us. It's hundred percent. You look at the quality we've got and we've brought in in those attacking areas. The they're second to none, really. So that is the thing. We've sort, we've sort, supposedly sorted out our main issue. So now 
it's over to Frank to go and play more attacking style of football and let those boys go and score some goals. Because how defensive they had to play the other day, I mean, you're knocking it up and there's like two players up the pitch. They're never going to create anything. Yeah. Uh, Tom, any final thoughts? or? Yeah, I, I echo what you're saying about the style of football. I think that's going to be very, very important going forward because if we don't see it, the pressure will get higher and higher on the manager. And people like ourselves who want to defend him to the hilt for a number of reasons yeah. are going to find it more and more difficult. Uh, to be completely honest with you. So, yeah, hopefully we can build something. And if we can, then we can take, you know, these last two games as a kind of necessary evil. Um, you know, we've had to just kind of suck it up and watch our defence improve. But if not, sadly, the pressure is going gonna, is gonna to build. And I hope it doesn't. I really, really hope it doesn't. Yeah, let's say these next five, six games are huge for our season. If we, you know, we win, we, you know, all of a sudden maybe, maybe we're in contention for a league title, but we'll see. Look, ultimately, and Tom, you joined us sort of preview the season. None of us had us winning the league. None of us, I don't think, had us really challenging for the league. We wanted to see progress from last season. We want to build on last season. So hopefully now these next five, six games, we can build, we can start, just get a run together and just, you know, lift the mood a bit because it is a bit it's, it's sort of just a bit meh at the moment it's, it's a bit not flat less, isn't it yeah there's not it's necessarily the excitement that there was last season watching Chelsea with Frank so hopefully that improves um, before we go Tom thanks for coming on where can the people find you on Twitter so I'm at Tovers98 I also run the All Things Chelsea website so make sure to give that a follow as well it's um at all things Chelsea underscore. Um, so if you give that a follow, great. And we'll also be doing a really nice giveaway very soon. Um, so that there's where you can find me. Nice one. Nice one, Tom. Thanks for joining us. By the way, next week's game against Burnley is on pay-per-view. So if, like what you did against Southampton, you're going to use a dodgy stream, go for it. But if you're feeling charitable, you know, a lot we saw great, you know, fans sort of coming together in this. If you want to donate, you could donate that you your fee to what you pay for the game to, say, the Fulham and Hammersmith Food Bank or whatever, if you're feeling generous. You know, it, it times like this, it's a great chance for fans to sort of stand up against sort of the, the, the higher power authorities that ultimately don't care about us, who are happy to exploit us and only say the things we want to hear when they want to say them. So, you know, we've seen Liverpool, I think Liverpool fans did it the other day, Newcastle fans, I think, the other week. So, of course, yeah, man, if you definitely. want to, you know, great idea, donate your pay-per-view subscription to, 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 to your local food bank or whatever, you know, especially in the times we are right now, it'd be for a great cause. And also, finally, before we go, if you're interested in the uh, owning shares in Stamford Bridge pitch, check out Chelsea, Chelsea Pitch Owners. I'll leave a link in the description down below for you guys. And uh, until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.